0: Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, huddle.care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of and I'll help you become effective and happy Across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of, and in this um, episode, I'll be having another session with Jim. Jim was on the show several months ago, and so welcome back, Jim. Hi. Hi, um, and thank you for sharing with us how things have been going the last couple of months. So, can you tell us more? How, what has your um, anxiety, OCD, and depression been like over the last couple of months?
1: Um, yeah, you know, work has been really, um, intense lately. Um, and that has led to, uh, a struggle with, you know, all three of those at various times. Um, in particular, like work, I, I've got a bunch of different, uh, different, different things going on, uh, with work, you know, some that are like personal projects on the side, others that are, you know, with an actual job I'm getting paid for others with, uh, you know, my PhD program. So there's a lot of balls in the air. Um, And some parts of work, you know, one of my personal projects involves like some social media and YouTube stuff Um, that, that it's really easy for that to just take up all my time. Um, And the reason is, you know, one that it's kind of easy to do, you know, it it lends itself, you know, part of it's just like being on Twitter, right. And you could do that all day pretty easily uh, without even realizing it. Um, so there's that aspect to it, but but the reason, so not only is it easy to do in that sense, but it's also, um, it's a real trigger for my perfectionism. Um, you know, I get worried that like, oh, if I take, if I take time off from this, or if I'm not vigilant with this, um, you know, I'll like lose my audience or, or something like that. Um, you know, the people who watch, watch my videos and stuff. So, um, so there's that, you know, and I can feel myself being, you know, somewhat compulsive around that. Um. But the problem is, you know, if I if I follow that, if if I if I listen to that perfectionism, it really doesn't leave room for this other stuff that I need to do, um, you know, uh, other work that I need to do, work that I'm you know being paid for, <laughs> and uh, and you know, school and family and things like that. So, um,
0: yeah. Well. So if I can just jump in and so to clarify why that's perfectionism, because I agree with you on that, is it would be the pursuit of doing things perfectly and just having more and more people watch those um, that content um, would eventually have diminishing returns or you can already tell that it can have diminishing returns if it gets in the way of other work or other priorities like family life and leisure um, and like activities of daily living Um, so in that sense that it's it's perfection and it's also probably perfectionistic thinking that says if you stop doing what you're doing then you're going to have this catastrophic consequence and so I there's really kind of two approaches that you can take when you have fears that are catastrophic like that one of them can be kind of typical CBT challenging which is like like what's the likelihood that this is going to occur and will I be able to handle it so I think the part of you that is challenging this and saying like if I spend you know a couple less hours on this I'm probably not going to lose all my followers that is actually a typical CBT intervention that um, is kind of like reality testing. But I think once you get to a point where you're doing that reality testing, if you're still really anxious and uncertain about it, then that's when you'd want to get distance from that storyline. So then you'd maybe go with like, well, maybe I'll lose people. Maybe I won't. I'm living with the possibility that that will occur. And then I'm going to trust that I'll be able to handle it because I want to live by my values at other times. Um, does that make sense to you that you can use both kind of reality testing and catastrophic thinking challenging as well yes. as getting distance?
1: Yeah, it it, it does. I, I probably even had a little emotional perfectionism there because I was like, well, I don't want to do too many, reass-, you know, I don't want to reassure myself by assessing that it probably won't make that big of a difference. You know, I kind of wanted to take the surrender opportunity, but I found myself, you know, I found it myself doing the CBT like thing um, as well. Um, you know, sometimes it's unclear whether or not reassurance whether or not sometimes it's it's unclear whether or not the um the cbt like thing is helpful or not um you know just from stuff i hear in group therapy and i haven't quite matched the pattern yet but like sometimes in group therapy i'll hear you say to someone like yeah you know maybe you don't want to minimize there or or rationalize it maybe you just want to like accept the possibility that the bad thing could happen
0: yeah that's a really great question so if when you're doing reality testing or thought challenging, if it stops there, then that intervention worked. Um, It's really when the thought is persistent, like it comes back and no matter what you say, it becomes false comfort and your mind keeps peppering you with some other new question, then you want to diffuse it from it. Okay. Um, So if you have the thought again, like what if people stop liking me, whether on the internet or in real life, and you say like, actually based on the evidence that I have, it doesn't seem like, no nope, anybody has stopped liking me, then that would be CBT, the CBT intervention. And if it stops there, great, it's over. If every time you have the thought, what if people don't like me? You say, oh, they, they probably do. But then your mind says like, yeah, but remember that mistake you made? Oh, it's probably fine. No, remember that other thing you did? oh, you made that other mistake. Like if it, if it starts going back and forth in a way that we'd call like worried voice and false comfort, then we want to get above it and use um, wise mind to observe and diffuse. Okay. And by diffuse, we mean like get distance from that, those thoughts and see those thoughts just as thoughts.
1: Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense actually. And I think I'm in the CB, like, I think I'm firmly in the CBT category because once I think that and think you know i want to do these other things i value you know i want to spend you know i want to have a date night or i want to you know spend some time working on this other thing i generally don't get you know intrusive thoughts telling me over and over again that that's the wrong thing to do like as long as i'm Mm -hmm. approaching one some one value or another then the noise from the perfectionism and the other values tend to tend to um die down a little bit
0: yeah that's a great um good awareness there and good description. I think that there's um, for some people, different content areas act differently. So potentially when it, as it relates to social anxiety or to work anxiety, you might be able to use CBT challenging, but when it comes to some, something that's more intrusive, then you might have to use diffusion and all of that can coexist in the same person. So thanks for that example. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you tell us more about what's been happening for you for the last couple months?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, uh w- well one of the others that is more more um like the second kind of content that you were talking about, a little more pervasive and things, is uh is um financial stuff. Um so you know, one of the jobs that I was doing, like the the time kind of expired on that. Um just due to, to the fact that like you know they were going to hire somebody more full-time to do it and that was part-time um and so that's kind of put me in a situation where you know i'm thinking about i'm having financial anxiety uh you know somewhat frequently um and well beyond you know sort of uh what's rational in, in certain way um but it's really hard to sell uh sometimes um and so that's been challenging as well and you know that that starts to lead to depression you know where it's just like um you know I'll never you know, it feels like I'll never get out of um I'll never get out of sort of you know I, I feel like I'll never have financial security basically um and or you know that I'll never be able to yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of, of different things there. Uh, the financial anxiety stuff is definitely a sore or tougher area for me sometimes.
0: Okay, so let's talk more about that. And I think it'd be helpful to talk about it from two different perspectives. So one perspective is kind of signal versus noise in identifying where do you have problems to solve versus where do you have uncertainty and worry um, and then also, where are you adding catastrophic thinking on top of either problems to solve or worry? Um, so first off, um, and and I just want to say as I'm thinking about it right now, uh, oftentimes when anxiety becomes demoralization, then it's it's a cue that you've become more fused to what you're afraid of. So if it it might start as like what if I'm never financially secure? And if that happens frequently um, over time, that can become, I'm not going to become financially secure. And then that's demoralizing. So it sounds like it went from being a, a fear to a fusion in your mind, and that's related to demoralization. So let's see if that's actually true. Um, so when you think about, so if signal is, um, if signal versus noise is like a radio analogy where signal is signaling that there's a problem to solve and noise is just static that um, is not signaling anything, it's just kind of uncertainty in the background, what parts of what you're worried about financially are actually problems to solve?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think probably finding, uh, finding an internship for next summer now is probably, uh, you know, like a paid internship next summer is probably uh, a problem to solve um, and something, you know, that I can have some control over. And I've applied at like one place. I, I, I would uh, like to apply to several more in the near future.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, that's really good problem solving. How do you feel as you apply?
1: Um, I feel anxious about getting started, I guess, because I know that Um, you know, just being in that process, all is going to, um, it's going to kind of prime up, you know, those thoughts around, uh, around finances and, 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 you know, some of those anxieties and things like that.
0: Um, so how is that related? So when you start thinking about the process of applying, why does the process of applying then trigger thoughts about financial stability?
1: Yeah, um. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm worried that like I'm not going to be able to perform um and that you know somehow I've messed up my career path in a way that's going to make it difficult to get some of these positions. Um you yeah, know, uh so so I think uh those those things come into play. Um you know, I get yeah, I kind of get demoralized around around that kind of stuff. Like it's been harder for me to it was kind of hard for me to get certain positions compared to what it had been before um the, the kind of kind of the last time that i tried and, you know so i wound up working for um you know kind of smaller companies and and things like that um whereas you know it used to be a lot easier to get offers from big companies it felt like uh, but then i never went to you know I, I never i never um i never worked at i only worked at a couple of big companies for like summer internships so it feels like maybe i missed out on playing a certain game correctly where you're supposed to kind of ladder up each of those over the summer or something, you know, from summer to summer, I mean.
0: And how do you feel when you start to think like that? Like when you're sitting down to maybe start typing into an application and your mind starts going to like all the mistakes you potentially made, Um, like how do you feel and how do you relate to that experience?
1: I definitely feel kind of scared. Um, you know it's hard for me to acknowledge fear. I think I've said that before, but stare um, you know that 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 you know I might have actually messed up in this way, and that you know that im that, that the consequences for it might not be great, and you know I think maybe potentially sad that I didn't have uh um, maybe some mentorship that you know that some other people I know would have had uh, in that situation from like family or something like that um but mostly, mostly those two feelings are, um, you know, uncomfortable enough for me that I'm only feeling them kind of indirectly. And what I feel instead is kind of like a sense of like panic or anxiety or like a need, basically a need to occupy my mind with something else. Um, you know, I want to get out of it quick and like go do something that will take my mind off of it. Um, what
0: do you, f- what do you fear you're going to feel if you don't? take your mind off of it if you don't distract yourself?
1: Um, I think I, I kind of fear the self-criticism and the kind of loop of um, uh, rumination um, about my past and things like that, but I think I also fear the the, the feelings of fear and sadness from me are things that, you know, I, 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 I've been known to avoid. Um, in the past. So I, I'd imagine that's there as well. Um, okay. I haven't really I'll... shown up with a curious mind to this process um, yet.
0: Great. That's actually the direction I was going to head. So if you were going to show up to a, with a curious mind to this process of applying, what like, what would that be like?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would just kind of be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to check I'm going to, you know, maybe I would schedule it in advance, like, hey, you know, tomorrow, and I might actually do that at the end of this, you know, tomorrow at um, at two, when I'm finished up with, you know, these tasks that I need to do, maybe I'll, you know, because I've already got my resume ready, basically, I've I've done most of the prerequisite steps, but I, I, I would schedule a time to show up to do it, and then just show up with the attitude of like, well you know, this is an experiment, um, more than anything, you know, it, it will get something off my to-do list, but it's also an experiment. And what I, sh- what I can do here is, um, see what kinds of things show up. Um, you know, what kind of thoughts do I have? What kind of feelings do I have? Um, and, um, and kind of try to be present instead of, instead of thinking about the past or the future, uh, or, or, you know, just, just, try to focus on the present and see which way my mind wants to go in terms of the past or the future. Cause I know that it's not a very present focused process for me uh, when I go to apply for these jobs, you know, I'm usually either in the future or the past. Um, so I think, yeah, just showing up and being ready and, you know, maybe even writing out some thoughts, like if I, if I get, you know, if I go down a rabbit hole, maybe write out some of the worries that I'm having might be a good exercise.
0: What kind of worries do you anticipate that you'd have?
1: Well, I know that it would be like the what-if spiral, like you know this this big long set of what ifs are kind of in the back of my head, and uh, often if I write those down, they're a lot less scary Uh, because there are so many of them and they're coming so fast that like you never really kind of say one, look at it, and go okay, and and then move on to the next one. They're just kind of all repeating themselves, you know. It feels like so like what if I you know, what if I don't get an internship next summer? What if I, you know, I can't pay my rent next summer? What if, what if, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think writing them out will help get them out of my head and onto the paper. That way I can actually be like, okay, you know, there's, 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 yeah, you know, like when there's a crowd of of, uh, of worries in your head, you know, the crowd seems bigger than the sum of its individual parts, I feel like. Like, usually it feels like when I lay them out on paper, it's like, okay, well, you know, looking at each one of these things, especially the ones that are more you know towards the end where it's like you know these really these really catastrophic things i'm fearing you know don't seem particularly likely um, so. yeah, and
0: at, at the same time though um i really like the technique that you're describing which is a diffusion technique rather than you know if you had the thought what if i can't pay my rent next year and you i guess your mind could easily go into like yeah how do we know because you really kind of can have certainty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's better to just kind of treat, that's like, that's a thought that shows up when you're doing something challenging. And as long as it's not conscious to you, it's just giving your body stress. But as soon as you bring it into consciousness, like you, you write it down and get it outside of your mind, then it's easier to just see like, oh yeah, that's a possibility just like, um, me and all my loved ones might die it is also um, a possibility and in fact actually something that will occur but we're all uncertain about when that will occur right right
1: yeah I think that would be good and then in addition to that I might even you know have a conversation with my wife about it as well Um, you know she doesn't get too anxious when we Discuss these kind of things because she, I think, believes in me a good deal. So, uh, so uh, you know, I can kind of have a conversation with her about it without, you know, putting too much of a burden on her and, and worrying her needlessly. Um, so that, but that's always a helpful exercise as well for me getting in touch with, um, with you know, what I'm actually, what I'm actually thinking, what I'm actually feeling.
0: It's, yeah. And I want to comment too, just because some people, um, that listen also have OCD and like kind of struggle with, when do I talk to my partner about what I'm anxious about? And I like what you're describing that I assume is like talking to her will be helping you understand what you're thinking and feeling and helping you go towards the fear that you're having where, um, if under the same conditions you were like seeking out reassurance from her for t- her to tell you that everything was going to be okay, um, regardless of what actions that you took, then that would like undermine your confidence.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what it is is I've got confidence now in the process of like getting it out of my head, and either on the paper or into a conversation is like a useful thing um, for me to do. Um, and, and the, yeah, you know, I've, I've got kind of experiential confidence around that. So it's not, I don't think it's a crutch because, you know, I don't even do it. It's definitely not my default state. Like, like, you know, it wasn't until we started having this conversation now that I realized like, you know, I've been kind of pushing all of these issues to the side not really confronting them with my brain. You know, I've been, I've been confronting them with avoidance and, and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, all of that makes sense. When your tendency, rather than to be preoccupied and to seek reassurance and checking, when your tendency is avoidance, then bringing the pattern into light in any kind of capacity, specifically the way that we're talking about it, and then also through like writing it out or through talking it out um, are all really great ways to cope. So in general though, you're saying basically you're, um, I like to summarize what you're saying, you're gonna pick a time to do the task. You're gonna be mindful during the task, noticing that your mind is gonna wanna go to the past or to the future. And in the past, it would be ruminating about the mistakes that you've made. In the future, it would be like um, catastrophizing the ways that things might not work out in the future. And in both cases, those are just thoughts. They're not predictions or facts or uh, messages to you. They're just the types of thoughts that show up when you're doing something challenging in the present moment. And then you're also in the present moment going to work to get distance from any other intrusions you have by like writing them out.
1: Um, yeah. And, and I think it might actually be really helpful to treat it like giving a presentation in class in the sense of like sticking exactly to the time. Like, cause I realized that what I'm having now, like the reason, you know, I didn't do this today already is because I have anticipatory anxiety about some of the negative thoughts and stuff that I might have, you know, in other words, Like, just like giving a speech before class, like, there is this dread of doing the thing. Um, But since this isn't giving a speech in front of class, which is to say, you know, since I haven't committed to it with a bunch of people who are going to hold me accountable, uh, you know, it's easy for me to just push it off. So I think if I treat it like that, like, one of the big things that helped me be able to give talks in class and things like that a lot better was in the 10 minutes beforehand, like, don't. Look at my phone and distract myself, like be there for the anxiety. Um, so I wonder if, you know, in, like I'll get up tomorrow, I'll have my, you know, my couple of classes, and then I'll have this thing that I'm gonna do it too. My tendency is going to want to be to occupy my mind a whole bunch up until the thing too But I wonder if like for the you know, ten minutes beforehand, if I'm not there with my anxiety and and kind of basically just treat it like a presentation for the anticipatory anxiety angle.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great idea and a really great observation. I think a lot of commitments that people, it's a, it's a great point that um, people kind of know that when they make commitments to other people, a lot of people, when they make a commitment to someone else, like I'm going to give a talk in front of a class, they know that they're going to do it. So the hardest part is the anticipatory anxiety where they're, um, just feeling tons and tons of uncertainty about how it's going to go but there's no chance that they're not going to do it. And I think when you keep when you make a commitment to yourself, it can be really difficult to to tolerate the anticipatory anxiety that you have, because you can easily break that commitment with yourself. So if you start shifting um, Things that you value into commitments you make to yourself and then predicting that you're going to have anticipatory anxiety and having a plan for that. And then also having a plan for what's going to happen when you're doing the committed action and then how you're going to treat yourself afterwards, which should be compassionately rather than self-critically. Then you're more likely to be able to accomplish these things that you commit to yourself and you'll trust yourself.
1: Yeah that's great yeah so just so that i've got some time to be anxious beforehand i'm going to move this to 2:15 because one thing finishes at two and i want to at least have 15 minutes to be anxious beforehand
0: so that's a really great um attitude why is it important to be anxious beforehand
1: i mean i found that 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 being you know that that, that conf- showing up and like confronting the anxiety of giving a presentation like i found that not being on my phone that 10 minutes before made the anticipatory anxiety next time less
0: and what do you make of that or what do you attribute that to
1: well i mean i think uh oh i think it i think it's i think it's like um approaching the anticipatory anxiety in a way like anticipatory anxiety in a sense should maybe peak in that 10 minutes before the the speech in a way um, so if I was always avoiding during that point in time, I was kind of running from, you know, an anxiety as a pursuer, right? Like, if you run, that's when it really gets big. Um, and so I think um, showing up in that, in that, like, basically facing it down when it's at its biggest and worst. Um, and the uh, kind of, you know, I learned the, the correct thing, that <laughs> mainly that I survived, I did the presentation, the presentation went okay. Um, and then I didn't post event process. But I never do that um, all that much with talks anyway.
0: Yeah. And just to frame that up a little bit more, um, so there's three there's three parts to any anxious situation. There's anticipatory anxiety, there's situational anxiety, and there's post-event processing, which is this ruminative, self-critical, worried um, preoccupation with how everything just went. So I appreciate what you're saying, Jim, that you've stopped doing that anyway. Uh, but oftentimes when you're practicing, you're first practicing. Um, how to prepare for the anxious moment. So how to be present with the anxiety that you're expecting, stay in the present moment rather than being in the past or the future, and then preparing for how you'll feel afterwards, which is typically ruminative and self-critical. If you were really sensitized, like the mind just finds ways that you've done something wrong. If you're really, really anxious about something. And so if you're ready at that point with compassion, then, and the next and you relate to your anticipatory anxiety well, where you just see it as uncertainty that you have when you're doing something um, challenging and uncertain, then um, oftentimes you'll still get anxious during the situation, but afterwards you'll be kind. And the next time you'll have less anticipatory anxiety, which is exactly what you're describing. I really like what you're saying, because if you take that same framework out of just commitments to other people and keep and make them use the same framework with commitments to yourself, then you can like really powerfully have a way to relate to anything that's values-driven in your own life. Yeah. Um, Great, okay, well, um, in awareness of our time, is there anything else coming to mind that you've learned in the last couple months that you wanna share on the podcast?
1: No, I think going through those two things is, Plenty
0: okay. Yeah, that completely makes sense. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. All the best. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.